Um, I've got a word for you. I'm uh, coming out of the book of John, John chapter 20, verse 24. I'm going to talk to you about the twin. The twin. We're going to read John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29. This is what it says. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Father, I pray today that you'd speak to us by the power of your word and spirit. We give you all glory and honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We can turn that off on the computer. Um, verse 24 begins by saying Thomas was often called Didymus. And that word Didymus is an Aramaic term that means the twin. This is actually the second time that John tells us that Thomas was called Didymus, the twin. The first time was in John chapter 11, you know, the whole situation with this dude, Lazarus, who was one of Jesus' best friends, who was sick and dying, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent messages to Jesus that he never responded to. You know, they prayed these prayers that Jesus never answered. Jesus basically just sat and let him die. And then Jesus says to his disciples, all right, now it's time for us to go and uh, see about our friend Lazarus. And uh, we're going to go see him now because he's dead. Well, first he said he's sleeping. And the disciples said, oh, good, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. Jesus said, no, not that kind of sleep. He's dead. And John chapter 11, verse 6 says, Then Thomas, who was also called Didymus, said, good, then let us go that we may die with him. Thomas was always saying some messed up stuff. He was a pessimist. The glass was always half empty to Thomas. He always saw the worst possible situation. He was what you might call a skeptic. And the interesting thing is, Jesus knew he was a skeptic when he called him to be his disciples. Because when we start talking bad about Thomas, we might start kind of arriving at the presupposition that in order to be a good disciple of Jesus, you can't be a skeptic. 
But no, Jesus called him knowing that he was a skeptic. Knowing that he was going to have a hard time believing. Knowing that he was going to get stuck on some stuff. Knowing that it wasn't going to be as easy for him as it was for, say, Peter, who was always willing to jump out of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus. No, Thomas would get down under the boat. You know, <laughs> Thomas put on life jackets and Thomas... Thomas was not a risk taker by any stretch of the imagination. Thomas also was kind of what you might call um, dense. Wasn't quite easy for him to understand some stuff. You know, uh, in John chapter 14, which is very, very uh, recognizable passage, Jesus says, I am the way. I mean, he says, uh, um, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. And the place you know, and the way you know. And Thomas responds in John 14, 6, uh, uh, Lord, we don't know the way, and we definitely don't know the place. And Jesus looks at him and goes, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Like Thomas was always the last one to get it. And he was always the one who just spoke up, out of turn, said the wrong thing. And whatever he said was always unbelieving, full of ignorance and unbelief. Now, Jesus has died. He's arisen from the dead. But it's still a secret. Only a few people know it. And earlier here in chapter 20, Jesus had appeared to his disciples and shown them that he was alive. But Thomas was not there when he came. So when he comes to the room, they're like, we saw the Lord. And he's like, no, you didn't. They're like, no, for real. We saw the Lord. Jesus came to us. He stood in the room. He's alive. He spoke with us. And he's like, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Unless I see with my two eyes the nail prints in his hands. Unless with my finger I stick it into his side where they pierced him. I will not believe. Translation. I don't care what anybody tells me. I don't care what miracles happen to you. I don't care what life change happened to you. I don't care what anybody says unless I see him with my own eyes, touch him with my own hands, feel him with my own body, hear him with my own ears, I will not believe. I refuse to believe. It was a decision at that point. I'm not even going to try to believe. And why is it that John tells us twice that he was called Didymus? The twin. Because we never meet the twin. Who was his twin brother? And was it an identical twin or a fraternal twin? Could have been a twin sister. And how come Jesus only called one of them to be his disciple? I think it's interesting that John never tells us who the twin is. It could be you. I think there are some of Thomas's twins 
in this place today. I think there's some of Thomas's twins watching this live broadcast today. I think there's some of Thomas's twins who are going to listen to this podcast later on. I think there's some of Thomas's twins. You might not look like him, but you got the same doubt and the same unbelief. You're identical with Thomas in your doubt and unbelief. Identical with Thomas in the trouble that you have believing. When everybody else in your family, it was easy for them to believe. But for you, mm -mm. it's not as easy for me as it is for everyone else. For some reason, everyone else, they just make a decision and they believe. But for me, I got these questions that I can't seem to get past. It's because you're Thomas's twin. You got Thomas's doubt. You got Thomas's unbelief. You got Thomas's confusion. And what I love about the Bible is that the, the fact of the matter is the truth of the gospel here is that because Jesus came for Thomas, it means he also came for Thomas's twins. He chose Thomas on behalf of the twins. He knew there would be generations of twins. He knew that 2,000 years later, Thomas's twins would still be walking the earth. And he says, I'm going to call Thomas on behalf of the twin. I want all of the twins to come to be able to look back and say, Jesus loved on my twin. Jesus showed himself to my twin. Jesus was merciful to my twin. And because he was merciful to the twin, he's merciful to you and me. Come on, somebody. I think every single one of us has been the twin in some way, shape, or form. There's a phenomenon that I call situational atheism. You're not an atheist, but for a moment you are. You know what I'm talking about? In the moment of acute fear, you become a momentary atheist. In the moment of acute depression, you become a momentary atheist. In a moment of acute and overwhelming anxiety, you've become a temporary, momentary atheist. You know, I, I, one of the things that I've really been practicing is trying to stay present with God all day long. Because God is present with me all day long, but I'm not always present with God all day long. You know, I have a lot on my plate right now, and I've, I've also got side projects that I'm working on, and, and I, I, I took Thursday morning, and I spent it with the Lord, and I did this journaling process, and I felt like God gave me this whole strategy, and I wrote it out, and I created a, a, a plan of action for myself, and a time frame, and some deadlines, and then God just, I just said, Lord, work with me, and the Lord works with me all day Thursday, and I just knocked stuff out, boom, 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 just knocked it out, and I felt, it was just a beautiful day, it was a wonderful day, I felt the love of God, and the presence of God, and the glory of God. I felt the strength of God and the power of God, and I woke up Friday, and I did it again. I had that same type of morning, and I, I spent my time with God, and Lord, Holy Spirit, order my thoughts and order my steps and help me to stay present with you, and I worked beautifully through the day, but by evening, there was one particular problem, one particular project I was working on that I finished at about five o'clock in the evening, but the moment I finished it, the fear, the anxiety, and the unbelief came. And all of a sudden in that moment, the moment I finished it, my heart said, this is garbage. This, I don't even know why I did this. 
I just wasted two full days doing this project, and nobody's going to care about it. And it's, this is, I, I might as well just throw this in the garbage. And then all this anxiety came, and then I'm feeling like a failure. And I'm, I'm moping around like that for a couple hours, and I'm like, what can I do? I'm trying to think, what can I do? How can I fix it? How can I make it better? Who can I send it to to critique it for me? What can I do? And all of a sudden, it became, it became clear to me that I was no longer aware of the presence of the Lord. I was no longer present with God. And I, re- I remembered, yesterday I worked with God all day. But at some point in the afternoon today, I got disconnected from his living presence and I started working alone. I've become a temporary atheist just for about two or three hours. I haven't denied him. I haven't cursed him. I haven't d- decided that I haven't believed in him. I'm just working without him for a few hours. In other words, for the last three hours, I've been working as if there is no God. As if Jesus didn't die for me. As if he didn't buy me with his own blood. As if I'm not redeemed. As if he doesn't indwell me by his spirit. As if he hasn't empowered me. As if he's not the one who gave me the vision and declared, I'm working as if it's all on me. And I said, I better become a Christian again real quick. I better come out of this atheism real quick. I better stop living like there is no God because the fool has said in his heart there is no God. This was my temporary Psalm 14 moment and I ran into the living room and I turned on the worship music and I started worshiping again and I came back to the presence of the Lord that as I became present with God again as God was present with me and all of a sudden the peace came and the joy came and all of a sudden the the satisfaction came and I got to look back and say, Lord, you gave me the vision, and I finished it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. No fear. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is never afraid. No anxiety. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not anxious. It doesn't mean that I'm never going to feel those things, but it simply means that when I feel those things, i got to run back to the Father. Those things, when I feel those things and when I experience those things, they're an indication of my own weakness. They're an indication of the fact that apart from him, I can do nothing. And I've discovered something about myself, that that scripture, that apart from him, I can do nothing, it is more true of me than any other person that walks the earth. I used to think of myself as strong. Now I realize that I am exceedingly weak. I can't do anything without him. If, if I get a cup of water without being conscious of his presence, that cup of water causes me anxiety. Temporary atheism. Martin Luther went through it. He went through this season of deep depression. And, and, uh, he, and I'm, by the way, I'm not saying that you should never go through depression. I'm not demonizing depression. But he was in a rut in his thinking patterns. And so one day, his wife comes downstairs wearing all black with a black veil over her face. And he says, what are you doing? She says, I'm going to a funeral. And he said, Whose funeral are you going to? She said, yours. No, no, no. She said, God's. He said, what are you talking about? God's not dead. She said, I think he is. He said, what are you talking about? Baby, God is not dead. She says, but the way you're living, it's as if he is. Looking at your life, I just had to assume that God must be dead. Because if God is alive, then you can't stay in the pit that you've been living in any longer. She shook him free. That just sounds like something my wife would do. 
what he probably wanted is for her to hug him and say, baby, everything's going to be all right. I love you. I'm here. What can I do for you? No, 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 no. She said, stop living like God is dead. Unless I put my finger in his side. It's not enough for me to see the wound in his side. I saw when they plunged the spear in his side. I need to stick my finger in there. It's not enough for me to even see him. I got to touch him. So the next day, they're together again in a room with the door shut. It's all locked up. Nobody could get in there. And all of a sudden, they look up and Jesus is there in the room. Jesus comes right over to Thomas. He says, Thomas, touch the nail prints in my hand. Go ahead. I heard what you said. Go ahead, touch the nail prints in my hand. And Thomas, trembling, reaches out his hand. I could imagine in that moment, he retracted in his mind everything that he had said the day before. I don't need to touch you. No, it's good. <laughs> Seeing you is enough. Now, uh-uh, Thomas, you said you needed to touch me, so touch me. And he stretches forth his trembling finger and touches the nail prints in his hand. He goes, here, stick your finger up in here on my side, right here. See that hole in my side? Thomas, no, really. <laughs> it's good, it's good. No, it ain't good, Thomas. Put your finger in my side. Thomas sticks his finger in his side. The Lord says to Thomas, you believe because you see. Blessed is the one who does not see and yet believes. And Thomas says, my Lord, kurios, and my God, my Lord, and my God. There was fruit to Thomas's doubt. Somehow Thomas's doubt provoked the Lord to reveal himself in a new way. Somehow everybody in the room benefited from Thomas's doubt. Everybody in the room got to see Jesus in a new way because Thomas doubted. Somehow there's a degree to which doubt provokes the Lord to greater revelation. Jesus says to Thomas, do not be unbelieving. If you look at it in the Greek, do not be unbelieving. He spoke of unbelieving as a state of being. Do not be unbelieving. Not a doing, do not unbelieve, but a state of being. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing, Jesus says but believing as the result of revelation. You believe because you've seen. Blessed is the one who has not seen, but yet believed. And here's literally what Jesus was saying to Thomas. I've shown up today to respond to your doubt, but I've done so on behalf of all of your twins. You refuse to hear testimony. You refuse to believe the testimony you heard. 
from your brothers and sisters who saw me, who heard me, who spoke with me. You refused to hear testimony. Now I'm giving you your own testimony. But I'm giving you your own testimony on behalf of all of your twins. Because the point of today's sermon is not just keep doubting Jesus and he'll show up and let you put your fingers inside the hole in his side. Because he probably won't. When Jesus rebuked Thomas for his unbelief, he wasn't saying you should never have doubts. But he was saying in the midst of your doubts, you should have heard the testimony of your brothers. You called all of your brothers liars. You told all of your brothers that their faith meant nothing. We had a friend in Indonesia who was an atheist, and he was not only an atheist, he was an evangelistic atheist. He used to travel around the world and try to convince people to become atheists, and he converted a lot of Christians to atheism. He was a very successful atheist evangelist. But he had an uncle whose mouth was, his teeth were jacked up, like really bad, and they were not doing well. These were Indonesians. They were not doing really well uh, financially, so he, they couldn't afford to go see a dentist. And his uncle went to this evangelistic outreach in his city, and all of his rotten teeth turned to gold. And he actually ended up going to see a dentist after the fact, and the dentist did x-rays and discovered that the gold went all the way down to the roots. Completely messed up his worldview. Probably messed up some of your worldviews. It messed up my worldview. Because I thought all the gold teeth stuff was, was, fault, was fake. But his said, he said, my uncle opened his mouth and I saw, I was able to look inside. I saw that my uncle the day before and his teeth were jacked up. I saw him the day afterward and I looked in and I saw gold fillings in all of his messed up teeth. And he said, it messed my worldview up. Second thing that happened was one night he was in his room and he woke up in the middle of the night and he said, my room was filled with hatred. There was this dark, and he said, I didn't even know who I was hating. I just knew my room was so full of hatred that I just hated intensely everything, everybody. And it shook him because he said, I thought to myself, could this be evil? Because he didn't believe evil existed. There's no such thing as as this metaphysical reality called evil or any metaphysical reality called good or God or anything. But he's experiencing it now. And he says, could this be evil? And then he said, God, if you're real, come and save me. Because he realized, I don't want this. And the moment he prayed that prayer, the room was filled with light. And Jesus was standing in the room. And the Lord said to him, from now on, I'm going to be with you. And he made a decision that day. He said, Lord, I owe you so many souls. I've spent my whole life till now turning people against you. I'm going to spend the rest of my life now turning people towards you. So I'll go wherever you send me but I'm going to tell everybody that you're real. 
It was his encounter with Jesus Christ that transformed his philosophy, his theology, his metaphysics, all of these rational things that we try to figure out on our own using our minds and philosophies and all of this. It was the living presence of Jesus that cut through all of that nonsense. Just like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. It was the living presence of Jesus that turned his theology upside down. But where did it start? He saw the testimony of his uncle. And he said, I don't know what to do with this. There has to be something to this. And this is the point. Sometimes the transition from unbelieving to believing starts with hearing possibility in the voice of someone who's got a testimony. That's all it takes sometimes. It's just hearing somebody share what God has done for them, what God has brought them after, out of, and simply opening your heart. Sometimes that's all it takes. Opening your heart and beginning to cry out to that Jesus. Opening your heart to that Jesus, saying, Lord, if you did that for my friend, you must be real. Would you begin to show me who you are? It doesn't mean that all of my questions are answered by your testimony. I do need to meet Jesus for myself. But when I open my heart to your testimony and begin to seek that Jesus for myself, that's when he makes himself known to me. He said, if you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. You know what I find? Is that the longer I walk with Jesus, the more cynical I become. You know what I mean by that? I mean, when I was like, when I really got on fire, like my first year of Bible college, I walked the streets looking for a sick person to pray for. I would cast a devil out of you. <laughs> I mean, I was ready. It was on sight. Every day, on sight. We just walked around like, come out in Jesus. I mean, we were like ready. I remember we had a friend who died, and I got some friends together. I said, we're going to the morgue, and we're pulling her out, and we're raising her up. I had a class called Study of the Miraculous. I went to that professor. I said, you and me, let's go. He said, where are we going? I said, we're going to the morgue. What do you mean we're going to the morgue? I said, we're going to pull her out. Everything you've been teaching us about the God of miracles, we're about to see it. And he was like, okay, listen, bro, <laughs> Man, you got to, okay, we can't be pulling people out of the morgue. <laughs> you just you're doing too much. I'm like, why not? God did. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Jesus did. I've seen a lot of miracles, but I've also seen a lot of not miracles. I've seen a lot of people get healed, but I've also seen a lot of people not get healed. I've seen people rescued from the jaws of death, and I've seen people die way too young. You know what I realized? I said no matter how many of the miracles I've seen, the not miracles have a deeper effect on me. 
And what I've discovered in my middle age is that when I hear stories of miracles and great and mighty deeds, there's that thing on the inside of me that goes, you're right. That I have to fight. And I mean, some of it is like, you should say, yeah, right. I had a friend that, you know, was home laying hands on his little piglets. And he said, balls of fire were coming down from heaven, resurrecting them from the dead and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, right. And I still say, yeah, right to that nonsense. God is not doing pig miracles in your living room. Shoot, next time your pig dies, just call me over for a barbecue. That's the will of God. (laughs) But I mean the legitimate, real testimonies that are just outside of my grid. There's a little bit of the twin in me. And sometimes there's a lot of the twin in me. I find myself saying, yeah, right. And as soon as I say, yeah, right, something on the inside of me says, you know, Benjamin, uh, we, we got music already. Yeah, it's fine. Thank you. You got to come back to the place of faith. Don't be unbelieving, but be believing. Stop saying that I got to see it myself in order to believe it. Believe. And that, that simple base level Thomas believing is, wow, you guys saw Jesus. That's crazy. I I wish I could see him. That's what Thomas should have said. Oh, man, I wish I was here for that. You guys, you saw him? I want to see him too. You heard him? I want to hear him too. Instead of unbelieving, how about holy jealousy? I'm jealous to see Jesus the way you saw Jesus. I'm jealous to hear Jesus the way you heard Jesus. I'm jealous to know Jesus the way you know Jesus. I'm je- I want that for myself. And what happens is we have to fight this inner voice of rejection. The inner voice of rejection that says he loves them more than he loves you. That's why he showed up when you weren't there. They're more spiritual than you are. He favors them more than he favors you. They're his favorites. You're his unfavored. That's why you're not there. That's why he made sure you weren't there when he showed up that way. And that inner voice of rejection, there's something on the inside of us that if I think you're going to reject me, I reject you before you can reject me. And some of us, there's that inner voice of rejection that has convinced you that Jesus has rejected you or that he's going to reject you. Unbelief is my attempt to reject Jesus before he has a chance to reject me. But every time we gather in the house of God, the testimony is renewed. The testimony is renewed. If you see the person next to you lifting their hands, and if you see a stream of tears coming down their face, that's a testimony. Jesus is touching that person. When somebody says, amen, that's a testimony. Jesus has touched that person's life. And maybe there's not an amen in you, and that's okay. But there should be a holy jealousy in you. I want to know Jesus the way that person knows Jesus. 
I want to feel the presence of God the way that person feels the presence of God. Today, Jesus has come to minister to the twins of Thomas. The twins of Thomas. And I want to say to you that it's okay to be the twin. It's okay if if faith isn't as easy for you as the next person. It's okay if you've got questions that the next person doesn't have. It's okay if you've got doubts that the next person doesn't have. My admonition to you today is the same admonition that Jesus gave Thomas. Don't be unbelieving, but be believing. And it simply means that when you hear the testimony, just let that doubt be transformed into jealousy. Holy jealousy. I want that. Lord, I want that. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to hear you. I want to touch you. I'm going to feel you. I want you, Jesus, and I want, you. I want your reality. I want your reality. Bow your heads and let's just pray into that right, right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. And I say I believe. I believe the testimony. I don't know how it works, but I believe the testimony that you're real. I've heard that you're real. And Lord, some of my brothers and sisters were in the room when you showed up, but I wasn't, I wasn't privileged to be there. There's brothers and sisters in this room that were in the room when you worked a miracle that I didn't see. When you healed a lame person that I didn't see. When you opened the eyes of a blind person and I didn't see it. But Lord, my heart is so tempted to say, yeah, right. But today I surrender to you my year right. And I make a decision today to allow the Holy Spirit to transform my year right into a Lord, I want that. Lord, I want that. Just let your heart say that. Lord, I want that. I haven't figured anything out, but Lord, I want that. My questions aren't answered, but Lord, I want that. Lord, I want that. I want that. I want that. I need you more than ever before. I don't know why you didn't let me be in the room when you did that, but you let me be in the room today. And that's the beautiful thing about Thomas, is that even though he didn't believe the the testimony, he still came back to be with his brothers the next day. He still came back to the place where his brothers were assembled. I had trouble believing yesterday, but I'm back today. I'm still in the house. I'm still in the room. I might not have been there when Jesus came yesterday, but if he comes tomorrow, I'm going to be there tomorrow. I might have missed the move of the Spirit last week, but I'm not going to miss the next move of the Spirit. If he comes back, I'm going to be there. If he comes back, I'm going to be there. And what if every time we came into the room, we came with that heart in mind, if he comes today, I'm going to be here. The next time he comes, I'm going to be there. The next time he moves, I'm going to be there. The next time he breaks through, I'm going to to be there. Next time he heals, I'm going to be there. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would work that decision into our hearts today. Work that faith into our hearts today. That faith that says, I believe. Help my unbelief. But I believe. My Lord and my God, open our eyes. We want to see Jesus. We want to walk with Jesus. We want to touch Jesus. Some of you are wrestling with unbelief and fear. You've been living 
as temporary, momentary atheists, but you need to break free today. If that's you, you need to run to this altar and get on your knees and begin to cry out to God. There's freedom at this altar today. I'm telling you, there's freedom at this altar today. You don't need to wait. You can come right now. We're going to pray just for a few more minutes.